This podcast of the Model Health Show is presented to you by Sean Stevenson with Rare Gym Productions. For more information, visit the SeanStevensonModel.com. Welcome to the Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson here with my beautiful co-host and producer of the Model Health <laughs> Show, Jade Harrell. What's up, Jade? What's up, Sean? How are you doing today? Sean, today I am incredimendous. Incredimendous. Mm-hmm. What is that? I feel so good. It's incredible. Tremendously incredible. Tremendously incredible. Incredibly tremendous. Blended together. All mixed like back Like only forth. you can. <laughs> I love but it. But I do feel wonderful today, Sean. Well, we're going to take it up like 10,000 notches. Oh, yeah? We've got an amazing guest on. Mm-hmm. This guy, I'm telling you, I already showed you like right. his book. I've never marked a book. It? Of course. There you go. <laughs> I've you never have. marked up a book more than this one, you know, with my fancy mm-hmm. pants highlighters. Maybe we should say what part of this did you not mark up? Exactly. <laughs> you should have just dipped it into a highlighter color. <laughs> right. But it's just phenomenal. The information in here and it's. It's just really put together in a way that's really easy to consume, which I love. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. You yeah. know, he's got a sense of humor, I think, similar to mine, which you guys <laughs> are going to probably find out. But he knows his stuff. And I'm just really, really excited to bring him on. We've got the author of Wheat Belly on here today, Dr. William Davis. But first, yes. before we get into the show and this amazing mm-hmm. topic that we're going to be talking about, let's give a shout out to our show sponsor, onit.com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Head over to onnit forward slash model. For 10% off all of your health and human performance supplements, you already know we're huge fans of the Hemp Force Protein. Absolutely. Had some for breakfast. The most bioavailable protein structure for the human body, rich in edestin, mm-hmm. which is uniquely found in hemp. Probably the most usable protein structure that we have in a food source. Albumin, mm-hmm. right? Which people go to like egg whites for that, mm-hmm. which is just kind of gross. <laughs> My son asked me the other day, he was like, so did you used to eat egg whites by himself? Right. Right. He just couldn't get it. I was like, yeah, I did. They were in a carton. It was weird. But, you know, what we can do is actually turn to higher quality sources now. And of course, we want to make sure that it tastes good. We enjoy the process of being well. And this is why we really love the Hemp Force, because if you go and you get some random hemp protein from the store, mm-hmm. you might be a little disappointed. Oh, quite. It's going to taste bit. like dirt a la mode. <laughs> you know, it's it's grainy, gritty. It just doesn't taste good. Yes. So the hemp forest tastes amazing. amazing. It's so good. It's so delicious. <laughs> Easy to add into, obviously, your superfood mm-hmm. shakes, mm-hmm. but also tastes great by itself. Mm-hmm. Do yourself a favor and get your hands on some hemp forest protein, two flavors, Chaco Maca. And vanilla acai. There you go. Mm-hmm. And we're also huge fans of, which I have right here on me, because people, you know, it's that time that of year tech? still. Is that my tech? So this is Shroom Tech Immune. Ah, oh, yeah. All right, Shroom Tech Immune. The highlight of this formula is the chaga mushroom, mm-hmm. right? Chaga, clinically proven to boost your NK cell activities mm-hmm. upwards of 300%. So your natural killer cells. So these are basically the cells in your body that get trained like little ninjas to take out whatever nefarious substance you might be exposed to or whatever nefarious substance might wiggle its way into your cellular makeup. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really phenomenal stuff. Thousands of years of documented history. And also a big deal today, a lot of people are talking about antioxidants. The oxygen radical absorbent capacity, so the ORAC scale or the ORAC value of the chaga mushroom is higher than any single food that we know about or herb Mm -hmm. that's going out there. So chocolate is awesome, super high. It's more than chocolate. Red wine, probably delicious. (laughs) I'm not saying for sure it is, but also high in antioxidants. I can vouch for the red wine. Chaga is more, (laughs) you know, blueberries, you name it. Mm -hmm. Chaga has more. So it's one of the most powerful antioxidants that you can get your hands on as well. 
And what it really does, and again, it's really focusing on building and fortifying your immune system. It's an immunomodulator. So it helps to bring your immune system up if it needs to Mm -hmm. or bring it down if we're talking about like a more of a autoimmune type of condition. Mm -hmm. It can help to bring it down a little bit and just to get your immune system online and make it intelligent again. So I love this particular product. And it also has in there, I've got to mention this, the turmeric, right? Oh, yeah. Curcumin is a huge Mm -hmm wave right now in the health community and it's understanding its properties of number one a powerful antioxidant but also it has anti-angiogenesis properties which mean it can literally cut off the nutrition supply the blood supply getting cancer cells good you know how powerful is that starve them how powerful is that <laughs> and so these are the kind of things that you'll find in something like the shroom tech immune so check them out on it.com forward slash model get 10% off all of your superfood and super herb goodies. And super now, living goodies. With absolutely. That, yeah, with that absolutely. In mind. Mm-hmm. And now let's get into the iTunes review of the week. These have just been wonderful to have, and I'm inspired every time I read one. Here's another five-star rating. Puts us well over 300 five-star ratings. This one calls us the best health podcast, hands down. I always listen to podcasts during my morning walk, and the Model Health Show is far and away my favorite one. I appreciate Sean and Jade so much. The information that they share is incredible. Whereas so many health podcasts prescribe one eating or exercise style, Sean shares deeper insights on a range of topics from foods, supplements, exercise, water quality, technology, love the cell phone episode, disease prevention, and more. There are always useful try this right now tips. His style is so holistic and almost spiritual in a really unique and incredible way. At a time when health gurus are a dime a dozen, Sean is truly sharing life-changing information. In between new episodes, I go back through their archives and re-listen to my favorite episodes. Thank you again, Sean and Jade. You see my smile. I do. It should make your face hurt. Well, it does. My <laughs> cheeks hurt a little bit. Thank you so much for that wow, review. Wow, yeah. And everybody, thank you so much for heading over to mm-hmm. iTunes and leaving those reviews. That it means so much. Wow. Thank you so, so very much. All right. Now, guys, let's go ahead and get into this amazing show topic and our special guest. Today we have on Dr. William Davis, Ah. who is the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Wheat Belly, Lose the Wheat, Lose the Weight, and Find Your Path Back to Health. He's also the author of New York Times bestsellers of the Wheat Belly Cookbook and the Wheat Belly 30-Minute or Less Cookbook. Well, there you go. (laughs) And he's, of course, been on, I mean, you name it, Dr. Mm -hmm. Oz, Mm -hmm. Fox TV, CBS in the Morning, Magazines like the New York Times, Prevention Magazine, Los Angeles Times, Chicago Tribune, Huffington Post, any place important, he's been there Mm -hmm. and getting this message out. And it's been an empower. It literally just created a huge tidal wave in the nutrition world. And I'm so grateful to be able to have him on today. Dr. William Davis, welcome to the Model Health Show. How are you doing today? Oh, terrific, Sean. Glad to be here. Awesome. So you got to tell me, man, what inspired you? to write this book. I know it was quite an undertaking to write this book, and I know he's probably going to get hit up by a lot of different entities out there to try to put some holes into your bread game, basically. But so what inspired you to write Wee Belly? This seems to be a pretty freewheeling show, so I'll play it straight with you. <laughs> all right, bring it uh, on, man. Sean, I came at this in bits and pieces. It didn't happen all in one day. Some of the final straws in this were when I was trying to give my patients my cardiology practice better tools to gain control over heart disease. You know, Sean, heart disease is really scary stuff. You know, people yeah. survive sudden cardiac death and heart attacks. They go to the, the hospital for stents and bypass surgery and angioplasty, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you know what? Though I came from that world, Sean, I used to do procedures, five, six, ten a day. Mm. 
I started to realize how silly it was to try to turn a disease into a procedure opportunity. And that's what healthcare sadly has become. It's become a profit opportunity. And they overuse procedures, imaging procedures, therapeutic procedures, and don't pay enough attention to preventive strategies, true prevention, not bullcrap prevention like statin drugs. I mean, real hardcore stuff that gives you complete control over diseases, not having diseases like dementia and diabetes and heart disease. So I wanted to give people better control. One of the clear-cut risks in heart disease is that if your blood sugar is above normal, whether it's diabetic range, really high, or even just a little bit above normal, a little bit above normal, you've lost control of heart health. You have lost control over heart health. You're going to have plaque in your arteries, your heart grow, you're going to have a heart attack one of these days, or, or need procedures. So I ask patients to remove this food that dominates breakfast, lunch, dinner, and has among the highest of glycemic indexes of all food. That's wheat, of course. You know, when people say healthy whole grains, they don't really mean amaranth, right? right. Or triticale, <laughs> or boger. They're talking about wheat. Right. For all practical purposes, we're talking about wheat as the dominant grain and one that has an exceptional glycemic index. And by the way, most dietitians aren't even aware of that, even though it's in every table of glycemic index ever published. The glycemic index of wheat, such as whole wheat bread and white bread, among the highest of all foods. So I asked patients to remove this thing to reduce their blood sugar. Mm. And they would do that, and they'd come back a few months later, and their blood sugars would be much lower. Some pre-diabetics would be non-pre-diabetic. People who took insulin for their diabetes had to come off their insulin and could uh, reduce their oral medications and over time became non-diabetic. But, Sean, what really taught me some new lessons was what my patients told me. When they came back, they'd say, I did this, and the blood sugars are better, but I don't understand why I lost 43 pounds. Mm. <laughs> or why did my ulcerative colitis that I've had for 12 years disappear? Why did my skin rash that I've had for eight years and took steroid creams, why did that disappear within five days? Why did my asthma go away and allow me to throw away my inhalers? Why did my depression lift? Why is my blood pressure so low I had to stop three blood pressure medicines? Why do I have more energy now? Why is my sleep deeper? Why, In other words, it was the spectacular spectrum of health transformations I began to witness. That's when I asked, what in the world is in this thing called wheat? Is it different? Has it been changed? That's where I had to ask agricultural geneticists and people like that to understand the real issues. But you know what the final straw was for me, Sean? Was I had a young lady in the office who I was seeing for a relatively minor heart issue, palpitations. And she was, every time I saw her, I just saw her a few times, she was always in pain, always holding her abdomen because she had ulcerative colitis and she took three drugs, including an intravenous antibody drug, very expensive, lots of side effects. And she was getting no relief. She was having constant 24-hour-a-day pain, diarrhea, bloating, and bleeding. She was requiring blood transfusions every three months or so. So nothing was working. So they they're going to schedule her for a colon removal colectomy and give her what's called an ileostomy bag, a bag to the surface that catches the poop on a bag and it makes all this noise. And she's a school teacher and she teaches kids eight, nine years old. So you can imagine what this is like. A young woman, 38 years old, essentially being disfigured, losing her colon that never grows back. It impairs your health when you do that. And having to wear a bag that makes these awful bowel sounds and, you know, these passing gas sounds in front of a classroom. So I, I said to her, you know, 
let me tell you what I tell my other patients. I have everybody remove all wheat. And she gives me this puzzled look and says, why would I do that? I don't have celiac disease. They biopsied me twice. Mm. And they ran the blood tests for celiac disease. I don't have it. I said, I, I know. I'm not talking about celiac disease. I'm talking about the gastrointestinal and other health disruptive effects of modern wheat. I said, you have nothing to lose. You're going to lose your colon imminently, right? So she does it reluctantly. She doesn't come back for three months. But when she comes back, she told me that within five days, all bleeding, all diarrhea, all pain, all bloating stopped. In five days? In five days. In about another week or so, she stopped one of her drugs. Another few weeks, I didn't tell her to. She did it on her own. She stopped another drug. Over a longer time period, she stopped a third drug. She was cured. And she lost 38 pounds. I didn't even tell her. I didn't even tell her that she'd lose weight. She lost 38 pounds. But here's the, the final straw for me that made me write the book. She went to her gastroenterologist, who had put her on these three medications, told her it was hopeless. You're in a hemorrhage if you don't get your colon removed. We scheduled her for colectomy and ileostomy bag. She goes back to him and says, hey, look at this. I'm off all the drugs. I don't have any symptoms. My ulcerative colitis is gone. And look at me. I lost 38 pounds. He looks at her and says, shrugs his shoulders. It's a coincidence. Just do what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> that pissed me off so completely. Right. You know, you know, the problem is he's not stupid. This gastroenterologist is not being guilty of being stupid. Right. He has the same disease most of my colleagues have, which is if it doesn't generate money, revenue, or doesn't involve a prescription drug, it doesn't mean anything. Right. Wow. What he should have said was, what did you do? Tell me more. I've got to know something about this. It could be a fluke, but I should know more about this. Didn't blink an eye, dismissed it offhand. Wow. And I knew that the thousands and thousands by this time, the thousands of successes I had, I had witnessed myself, I had to start talking about it. Now, I had to not just talk about anecdote, though there are lots and lots of wonderful, incredible, life-changing anecdotes. There had to be a story of the science behind mm-hmm. it as well. Wow. What an incredible story. Yes. And what I love so much is that clinical application and you seeing it firsthand. Right. Because a lot of people are just, you know, they're talking first from studies mm-hmm. or it's just kind of throwing random stuff at the wall, basically, and seeing what sticks. You stuck to this particular thing, and it worked out for all these different patients for so many different conditions. And just to kind of piggyback on what you said about our physicians, you know, I often say this is that our physicians in this country are some of the brightest and best minds literally on the planet. But if you teach a smart person the wrong thing, they become world-class at doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like the best of the best. And it's really right now we're, we're having a transformation happen to where patients are becoming more doctors themselves, you know, and the word doctor really means teacher, mm-hmm. you know, and, and getting self-educated and then coming in and having a partnership with their physicians instead of just being disseminated instructions or skills and not taking any type of empowerment in your own life. And so this is what I love about your work as well, because it's so empowering. And one of the things that you mentioned was the fact, you know, we talked about this transformation with people who were obese. Now, You know this as well as I do, that overweight individuals in our country, probably most of them, are really actually pretty health conscious, you know, and you found out that there was a hole in the game here somewhere. So let's talk a little bit about how this relates to obesity and weight gain. And can you start with telling us what the glycemic index means that you mentioned before? Sure. Mm -hmm. By the way, Sean, I could not agree with you more 
that healthcare and my colleagues are out of touch with what's going on. That is this crowdsourcing of information and people empowering them. So I think you're absolutely right. The obesity connection is a big one. So glycemic index simply means how high your blood sugar goes over the 90 minutes after eating a food. So high blood sugars are not benign, as you know. High blood sugars lead to such things as visceral fat, that is deep tummy fat that's inflammatory, but we see on the surface as love handles or a muffin top. It leads to such things as uh, hypertension, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, dementia. So high blood sugars are not just high blood sugars. They have broad health implications. It even accelerates aging. So foods with a higher glycemic index cause all these problems more extravagantly. Now, here's a problem. When they developed the classification of glycemic index, they broke it down to high, medium, or intermediate, and low. The problem is, it would be like saying, driving your car 90 miles an hour is fast. Driving 80 is medium. Driving 70 is slow. Well, that's kind of stupid, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then, so... That's what they did with the glycemic index. High, medium, low are all very high. Mm-hmm. So even if you eat low glycemic index foods, you still have sky-high blood sugars. So the real story here is you go for zero glycemic index or at the most single digit, if you even pay attention to glycemic index. Frankly, I tell people who follow my conversation, ignore glycemic index. It's silly. It's stupid. It's full of misinformation, misclassification. Don't even look at it. So that's one reason why people get weight gain from grains, because the amylopectin A, which is the unique carbohydrate in grains, is responsible for sky-high blood sugars, among the highest of all foods. Very few foods can raise blood sugar higher than grain foods, Mm. such as wheat. But there are other effects. There's a protein called gliadin in wheat, also called cecalin in rye, hordein in barley, zein in corn, because I remind everybody that grains are seeds of grasses, seeds of grasses. So the idea of eat more healthy whole grains is really eat more seeds of grasses. I I put it that way, which is still true, because it highlights the absurdity of this message that humans should eat the product of grass plants. But anyway, there's a protein called gliadin in wheat, related proteins, other grains. And so if it all comes from grasses, we can't digest grasses. We have a real hard time digesting the proteins of grasses. So this gliadin protein is not fully digestible. By the way, if it stays intact, it's the first step in triggering the diseases of autoimmunity, like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and type 1 diabetes. This is the work of Dr. Fasano from University of Maryland and Harvard. If it's partially digested, it's broken down to about a small peptides, which are about five amino acids long, and they have very unique structures, very much unlike other proteins from other plants or from animal products. These proteins act as opiates. Mm-hmm. They bind to the opiate receptors of the human brain, but they don't make you high. They stimulate appetite. Wow. They cause you to be hungry for mostly carbohydrates. There's another effect. <laughs> There's a protein called wheat germaglutinin. It's in wheat, rye, barley, and rice, even though it's called wheat germaglutinin. This protein is completely, completely indigestible. It is completely impervious to human digestive process, but in its passage through the gastrointestinal tract, it blocks leptin, Mm. blocks the liver hormone leptin, because a little bit is absorbed to the bloodstream. Leptin is the hormone of, of satiety. So if I eat a big lunch, 
my liver releases leptin and says, quit eating. You're, you've had enough. Unless wheat germagglutin is around, it blocks the effect of leptin. So it turns off the stop eating signal. So you have this combination of effects. You have the cyclic two hours, high blood sugar, followed by low blood sugar. That's where hunger comes in. You have the opiate effects of the gliadin-derived opiates that triggers the brain to eat more. And then you have the blocking of leptin. That is the hormone of satiety, and you don't know when to stop eating. So this is why I call wheat and other grains perfect obesogens. <laughs> obesogens. Perfect uh-huh. foods to make you fat. Obese, yeah. Wow. Is it obesogens. any wonder that we had the nation's fattest <laughs> population on earth ever since our own government told us to make grains the centerpiece of diet, the biggest mm-hmm. part of the pyramid, largest part of the food plate? It's no wonder. This happened because they gave us really, really awful advice. You know, I was actually one of those people, you know, learning in the university setting. Nutrition was totally optional, you know, when I went to school pre-med initially. And then I found that I didn't like science, funny enough. So I got out of it. But I took a nutrition class, which totally was just optional, just because I was like, well, I guess it has something to do with being healthy. And the first day of class, I still remember this. It was an auditorium style class. The teacher walked in the door, but his belly walked in first, you know, and I'm just like, hmm, this is interesting. Like, he's going to tell me how to get healthy. Mm-hmm. But and I'm just very naive. I just turned 18 at the time and I didn't put two and two together mentally, but I just didn't feel compelled to go to that class anymore. So I proceeded to basically just show up to take the test. And that was the first class in my college experience that I would basically skip, you know, so I found out how to do that whole skip thing and get by. But anyways... We were taught, and the thing is, even when I'm talking about this wildly intelligent professor, I mean, he was super smart. He's doing what he prescribes, but it wasn't working for him. But just having the audacity to look at that, you know, to actually see, is this working or not? Am I getting the result? And we were told to tell our clients and our patients to eat seven to 11 servings of healthy whole grains a day. And now Dr. Davis has created this treatise, this amazing health Bible to really help to break down and understand like we've kind of been sold the wrong bill of goods, but most of the world doesn't really know this yet, mm-hmm. you know, but now that's really shifting very, very fast. I just want to go through really quickly and just highlight the things you covered. So number one, glycemic index. So this is looking at the blood sugar response from particular foods. And in the book, you indicate that two slices of like whole wheat, like the best, the brownest, dirty, dirty brown bread that you can eat <laughs> is going to give you a higher glycemic response than eating table sugar, mm. right? So that's number one. The other thing is gluteomorphines. All right, so these morphine-like compounds that are found in our bread that are literally attaching to receptor sites in our brain, right? Stimulating us to eat more, mm-hmm. right? How can you win against that? Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about your willpower versus your biology. Yeah. And then the third thing is the WGA, right? And so this is the one that suppresses the function of leptin, which is a satiety hormone. So basically, you're going to be like one of those brain-eating zombies, right? <laughs> just constantly hungry, walking around, looking to devour stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you diet, it's just going to make you more irritable, mm-hmm. more sluggish. Withdrawal. And of course, when you have a meal, then you're going to be hyped up and feeling mm-hmm. good for a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, your meal with your traditional, which would be low-fat food and some healthy whole grains. But then you're going to crash again. It's mm-hmm. just this vicious circle, which I appreciate so much you helping us to break this today. Um, you know, Sean, to add insult to injury, of course, Americans are told that they're overweight not because they've been given bad information, but because they're lazy and they're gluttonous. Mm -hmm. In other words, the blame is placed on the people who've been victimized by this awful, Mm -hmm. awful advice. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's an incredible twist 
<laughs> the right. people who gave us bad advice don't share any of the blame. Mm-hmm. But we have to turn this around. The blame should be placed on the people who never understood. Some of these people may have been very well-intended, so it's mm-hmm. not that they're all evil. Mm-hmm. But they have to own up to their mistakes. And this is a huge, huge mistake that has played out on an international scale because so much of the world follows the U.S. lead. Right. Because now we have obesity crises as well as diabetes and autoimmune diseases in France, in Italy, mm-hmm. even in China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just shared a statistic recently that currently we actually have more people who are in a state of obesity or being overweight than people who are starving. You know, it's so Mm -hmm. bananas. Mm -hmm. But this whole situation, you know, what you're talking about here is we get into a state of learned helplessness, basically. You know, a a psychological condition of learned helplessness that I did something wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm following what the doctor's advice is, but I did something wrong. And that really starts to twist our psyche and it makes us give up, you know, when in fact... You were just given the wrong information. And at this point... Well, it's similar to an abusive relationship mm. where an abuser would then in turn blame the victim for the punishment and abuse that was placed upon them. And then you get into this state of trauma that... Oh, you blame yourself. You blame yourself. Yeah. 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 And oh, then, I, I'm, I'm so impressed you two are having this conversation because that is... I agree with you, you two, mm-hmm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it also applies, this phenomenon of learned helplessness, it also applies to patients, to their doctors. The doctor says, you're fat, John, because you eat too much, you don't move enough, cut your calories, move more, and it's your fault. It's your fault you're diabetic, yeah. it's your fault you have all these conditions that require 14 medications. It wasn't his fault. Mm-hmm. It's the fault of conventional advice and their misinterpretation of science. And it's the fault of the doctor, too. Mm-hmm. I think my colleagues have to own up to their problems and their shortcomings, which is they say, in effect, I'm going to have to exert this paternalistic attitude towards my patients. Not all of them, most of them. I'm going to be paternalistic. I'm the doctor. You're the patient. I'm the one who went through all the training. You do what I tell you to do. I don't care what you found on the internet. I don't care what <laughs> you think. Right? I'm going to give you conventional advice mm-hmm. from the USDA, from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services on diet, and would dispense drugs and order procedures when necessary, mm-hmm. and even when not necessary, too. There's a lot of that going on as well. But you're absolutely right. It's learned helplessness. I think that's so important we point that out because mm-hmm. people need to speak up and say to their doctors, listen here, you're here to help me. Not here to tell me what That's to right. do. You we work collaborate. For me. <laughs> That's right. It's a collaboration. You're here to help my health. You're here to help me be healthy, not to build your revenue for your healthcare system so that your end of quarter bonus is larger. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I love that. You work for me now. You work for me now. <laughs> you know, I don't care what I don't so, care what podcast you listen to. So, Who's Sean Stevenson. <laughs> now, let's let's shift gears here because I know that our audience very, very well-versed in the more recent, more empowering, more accurate health and fitness information. So they've pretty much got it locked in about, you know, grains are something that I want to really pay attention to because it can potentially be problematic. Mm -hmm. But what I want to talk about with you, Dr. Davis, because this is so huge, is like, we've really got this very romantic idea about wheat, you know, and it's written into songs about our country. It's written into, you know, um, little haikus and things, you know, it's a very romantic idea that we have about it because like biblical times, you know, this was like something that was a staple. So what happened? Why is it so harmful for us today? What was it? Some genetic stuff? What changed? 
You know, I think wheat was always a problem. Uh, wheat and other grains, they're all grasses, of course. Wheat being the worst, though. I think it's been harmful for a long time. We had good evidence, by, that, by the way, for that, that wheat even 10,000 years ago was a problem for human health. But I think what really brought it to attention is what agribusiness and geneticists did about 40 years ago. And that is they conducted extensive genetic experiments. This is the age, by the way, prior to genetic modification. So this is not using genes, modern gene splicing techniques to insert genes. This is using other methods, multiple matings or hybridizations, crossing wheat, mating wheat with other grasses to introduce unique genes. And the techniques what are called mutagenesis, the purposeful creation of mutations using chemicals, toxic chemicals, gamma rays, like the Hulk, and high-dose X-ray, induced mutations. Well, many of the critics of mine say Davis is wrong. No wheat has been genetically modified. This is a smokescreen they use, Sean. By saying wheat has not been genetically modified, they make it look like I made all this up. Well, one, I never said wheat was genetically modified. I said it was altered by other means. And here's what they don't tell you. Some of those means, particularly the techniques of mutagenesis, see, modern genetic modification introduces only a handful of new genes and new characteristics. The techniques of mutagenesis introduce dozens to hundreds of changes. And so you have an entirely different kind of plant. So wheat was changed. You can even see it. It's a, an 18 inch tall. You know, all those, the, the amber waves of grain, all, they're all gone. It's now an 18 inch tall, high yield semi dwarf strain worldwide. 99% of all wheat grown worldwide, whether it's mm. here or Saskatchewan or Ukraine or China, or Middle East, it is the high-yield semi-dwarf strain, essentially created in a laboratory. That's what made wheat go from bad to worse. Mm. So I think that's where it came to attention, because it amplified many of the adverse effects of wheat. Mm. Wow. That's so, you know... It helped the the wheat. (laughs) Right. They helped the wheat. Wheat smash. Right. (laughs) Smash belly. That's so amazing, you know, because that was one of the things that I was interested in when I picked your book up. And this was a while back. I've been really wanting to talk to you for quite a while. And I actually went back through your book and read it with fresh eyes, you know, because I read it a couple of years ago and I reread it and I pulled out so many new things because I'm updated. You know, I'm the updated version of myself. And I was really interested in talking about how the chromosome sets and how it's different from what humans have going on. But when they're doing that kind of manipulation that they're doing, that the chromosomes are actually growing, you know, they're expanding in number. So how does that whole situation work? Very interesting stuff. So as you know, plants such as grasses are capable of something called polyploidy. And that is they can combine chromosomes. So imagine a human male mates with a human female. And, you know, humans have 46 chromosomes each. So the male contributes, the father contributes 46 chromosomes, mom contributes 46 chromosomes. How many chromosomes does their offspring have? Well, not 92, right? That'd be very peculiar. The child has 46 chromosomes also. So that's how humans do it. Plants don't always follow that rule. They can combine chromosomes. So ancient wheat, prior to biblical times, was einkorn wheat with 14 chromosomes. This ancient form of wheat that grew wild in the Middle East mated with a wild grass and gave it 28 chromosomes. That created emmer wheat. Emmer wheat's the wheat of the Bible. So if there's any mention of wheat or bread in the Bible, you're talking about emmer wheat, the 28-chromosome form of wheat. Well, that same kind of 
chromosome addition occurred again. Emmer wheat made it with another grass, and that gave it 42 chromosomes. And that was the ancient forerunner of modern wheat, which still has 42 chromosomes. So I think it's important to some people because it highlights the fact that people would say things like, I have to eat wheat because it's in the Bible. But what they ate in the Bible is completely different. Mm -hmm. You know, humans have 46 chromosomes. Orangutans have 48. Yet there's about 95% overlap in all genes. But look how much difference just two chromosomes can make, right? Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. If I see you hanging out with, you know, with an orangutan and <laughs> trying to get married or whatever, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to question that. It's a totally different, <laughs> right. it's a really different entity. All of the human beings, you know, again, we have these specific numbers. When we mate, our child has the same number. But it was so interesting that the wheat doesn't act like that, you know. So it's really a completely different entity. And I really want to drive that point home. And for people to really understand that, that this is a very different animal Mm -hmm. than what we were consuming centuries ago. Mm -hmm. So now with that said, because I really also want to focus in on helping individuals who are concerned about, we just did an episode recently on diabetes, right? The diabetes epidemic. And one of the classic signs of insulin resistance is carrying a lot of weight around the midsection. And you did a little subtitle in your book, a little subhead, which was, Men's lingerie is on the second floor, (laughs) right? And just talking about how wheat is adding to this condition where we're, of course, accumulating belly fat, which is its own organ Mm -hmm. that's producing more estrogen. So, Dr. Davis, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're exactly right. Visceral fat, that is deep belly fat, you can't see most of it because most of it encircles organs like the pancreas, the liver, and the kidneys. But you can see its surface reflection, that is the muffin top with love handles, that roll of fat, what I call a wheat belly. So deep fat in the abdomen is highly inflammatory. Part of the reason may be that it empties into the liver. The venous flow empties into the liver. But this thing is very inflammatory. If you biopsied it, for instance, and looked at it under a microscope, it kind of looks like pus. Mm. It's full of inflammatory white blood cells. So it's very different than the fat, say, on your backside or on your neck or your shoulder or your chest. It's very inflammatory. So this kind of fat has been clearly and repeatedly associated with increased potential for diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, metabolic syndrome, cancer, dementia, and many other diseases. So having visceral fat, or what I call a wheat belly, is a very, very bad thing. For instance, breast cancer risk is 400% higher mm. in a woman with a, an appreciable tummy as compared to a slender woman. So it's, it's not just an unsightly thing. It is unsightly too, but it's a, it is a very serious consequence for health. Wow. You know, you mentioned earlier, of course, about how is this happening and talked about the amylopectin A. So this is like the digestible sugar compound that we're going to be getting from wheat. And humans have, we have the amylase enzyme in our mouths and in our gastrointestinal process that makes it absorb very, very quickly and it skyrockets your blood sugar. And that process leads very quickly to showing up on your waistline more so than anything else. And I remember in the book you talked about amylopectin C that would be found in beans, for example. Beans means good for your heart. The more you eat, the more you... I'm not going to say it. You know the rest. (laughs) So, but it's because that compound isn't as digestible and kind of sticks around in your 
intestinal tract longer, bacteria have a little party, and next thing you know, you're kind of yeah, Taco Bell in it. <laughs> so that's one of the translations that we have here of how this is happening. I just want to keep on hitting on that point. And so for women, and also I just love the title of this, for women, this is going to lead to more instances of estrogen-related cancers. Mm -hmm. So breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, mm -hmm. and then things like fibroid tumors as well, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. then for men, this can lead to a depression of your secondary sex characteristics, right? And also development of breast tissue, Man right? boobs. So lighter voice, smaller family jewels, oh dear. right? All these things are potential <laughs> problems when you're developing that visceral fat. And I'm Joe, it's, it's an awful combination, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Erectile dysfunction and man yeah. boobs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because of grains. Isn't mm -hmm. that so? I find that, in, I mean, you know, guys really agonize over the man boob part of it mm -hmm. because, you know, it's very disfiguring. The fourth most often performed elective surgery in males is breast reduction surgery See, now. Fourth most, huh? Mm. Yeah. And they wow. were told, I mean, you know. Wait, wait, say that. I'm sorry, yeah, Jay. Say that again. Time. The fourth most common surgical procedure performed in males today is breast reduction surgery. Right. That was my mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Go ahead, Jay. Right. Well, I was just saying how it was, you know, even in early days, carb up to bulk up, you know, carb up to build your muscles, carb up. And that was you know, go with these grains at full steam and hear yep. Yeah, exactly right. And, and by the way, that brings us into this issue that a lot of athletes ask, what, don't I need grains or at least carbs for performance? Then that's another fiction that was based on very bad science in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. So you see all these runners, triathletes, et cetera, carving up with their pasta night before or even just before a training run, completely unnecessary. Though it takes about six weeks to accommodate to this kind of grain-free, sugar-free lifestyle because it takes about six weeks to stop relying on liver glycogen as your energy source. You only have about 40 minutes of that. Mm -hmm. And turning to the fat stores that can supply you with energy for weeks on end. Wow. So that leads to an important question, you know, is how do we fix this? And what you're saying is it takes about six weeks, mm -hmm. I'm assuming on average. And so what are we doing, Dr. Davis, to help us to get our endocrine system sorted out, to get our blood sugar sorted out, what are some of the tips and strategies that you share with your patients? Well, for athletes, recovery of performance and then exceeding your prior level of performance takes about six weeks, but it doesn't take six weeks for most other issues. Mm, so people okay. who go grain-free, I should point out that about 40% of people, when they stop eating wheat and even better, other grains, other seeds of grasses, will go through an opiate withdrawal process mm -hmm. because they stop eating that gliadin protein, wheat and related proteins and other grains. And so they experience nausea, headache, fatigue, and depression. And I won't kid your listeners, it can be very unpleasant. It lasts about five days. And there are some things you can do to soften the blow, like, you know, try to do it at a good time. Don't do it when you're under a deadline at work or something like that. <laughs> right. Hydrate, use some salt. Pamper yourself, get a massage, watch a funny movie, laugh. It's like a five-day or seven-day hangover. Mm -hmm. So you know what? Detox. You've got to get through it. Yeah, mm -hmm. you've got to get through it. When you come out of it, you feel wonderful. Yeah. Now, other problems, acid reflux and the bowel urgency of irritable bowel syndrome typically disappear within five days, very quick. Joint pain in the fingers and wrists and elbows tends to disappear within the first five days. So some problems go away really fast. 
other problems, particularly autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis or eczema or seborrhea or psoriasis, they tend to go away over weeks or even longer months. Weight loss proceeds almost immediately. It gets started for most people right away. It's not uncommon to lose five to seven pounds in your first week, though some of that is water, which is good because if you retained water before, it was because you were inflamed. Mm-hmm. So it's not uncommon to lose 15 to 18 pounds in the first month, and it keeps on going over time. It's essentially effortless. So what we're not telling people, of course, is cut out the wheat and grains, run five miles a day, push the plate away, count your calories, cut your fat. <laughs> I tell people, cut out wheat and grains. Don't seek out sugar crap foods, right? Exercise, not during withdrawal. Don't exercise during withdrawal. It makes you feel miserable. Mm-hmm. But after that, exercise, do what you want to do. Have some fun. Go dance. Take a yoga class. It doesn't have to be terribly strenuous. Just have some fun and exercise. But exercise is a lousy way to lose weight for most people. But don't count calories. Don't count fat grams. In fact, eat more fat. Mm-hmm. Eating fat helps you get thin and unwind a lot of health problems. So I tell people buy cheap cuts of meat, preferably organic grass fat, but buy cheaper cuts of meat full of fat. Don't trim the fat off. If you buy ground meat, for instance, buy the cheaper fatty kind. Mm-hmm. Get some liver, save the bones or bone marrow, make soup or stock, and don't skim off the gelatin or the fat off the top. Use more coconut oil organic butter, ghee, other healthy oils. More oils really helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. It sounds like it's a seamless thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. just kind of shifting our fuel source. And I'm glad that you clarified that because I clumped everybody together six weeks. This can be as little right. as a few days, right. less than a week. Right. You can see some serious transformation happen. But I also heard you say sugar-free too. You know, we might be thinking we're just dumping the grain and bread and all that, but please be sure to acknowledge the sugar. Right. So we're not Absolutely. going from... We're not going from gluten-free to eating more gluten-free, right? right? Oh, let's raise that issue. I'm glad glad you said that, Sean, because as you know, a lot of people hear this as, oh, they're telling us to be gluten-free, and then they go to the grocery store and buy gluten-free foods. And as you know, that's a big, big mistake. So, you know, what you and I can't control is what the food industry does in response to a growing trend. And what they've done, is they've come up with these gluten-free, that is protein, gluten, wheat, rye, and barley, gluten-free foods like rolls and donuts and cookies and bread and multigrain bread. But they used very bad choices of ingredients. They used cornstarch, rice flour, tapioca starch, or potato flour. And so your listeners now know that wheat and grains raise blood sugar higher than nearly all other foods. Among the very few foods that raise blood sugar even higher, cornstarch, rice flour, tapioca starch, potato flour. (laughs) It's almost like a cruel joke. It is cruel. Mm. I mean, it is so cruel. It's a $7 billion a year industry now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the good news, of course, is that we are avoiding some potential gut irritants. But the bad news is you've got many of the same health issues that are going to accompany that. So you just got to get back to eating real food, you know, things that you can actually recognize where it came from. Exactly right. We did a show actually highlighting and talking about the dangers of Mm gluten-free eating. So Mm -hmm. we'll put that in the show notes. But before we wrap the show up, I've got to have you talk about this. If you could just take just a couple of minutes and talk about this like Star Trek term you have in the book, zonulins. (laughs) Right? What is this, man? What is zonulins? Zonulin is a protein mediator 
of the autoimmune process initiated by the gliadin protein of wheat. In other words, you ingest wheat or related seeds of grass like rye, barley, and corn, and this gliadin protein binds to the intestinal tract, and it initiates a series of events that cause this protein zonulin to be released both within intestinal cells as well as into the bloodstream. And so there's a new test that should be coming out sometime soon that we can actually measure the zonulin level in your bloodstream. And the higher the zonulin level, the more intestinal leakiness you have. That is the process that leads to inflammation and autoimmunity. And by the way, this has nothing to do with celiac disease. This applies to about 90% of people. So celiac disease affects 1% of the population. Right. This effect, this inflammatory and potentially autoimmune effect, right. applies to 90% of the people. That's shocking. Yeah. You know, and this is one of those situations where people. people are, of course, are saying, I'm not celiac or I don't have a gluten issue. It's just what degree, because it is affecting you. It's just Absolutely. what degree, you know. Exactly and so right. We're all having this response with zonulin going on in the body. And it's just a matter of what symptoms you're getting or what symptoms are you actually noticing, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. because again, it's having issues. We're having it. It might show up next week. It mm -hmm. might show up in 20 years. But again, we're consuming a food that hasn't existed mm -hmm. that long. And Dr. Davis, thank you so much for highlighting all of this information. This has been great. And I totally appreciate, I, I mean, I can't even tell you, it's one of my favorite books of all times. I know that this is one of those that we're going to look back on, you know, in history and say that this really helped to change the game. So. Can you share where everybody can go and pick up your book and also just get more connected to your work? Sure. Well, it was very nice of you to say that. So uh, people can join this conversation by going to my blog, the wheatbellyblog.com. There's a very busy Facebook page for the Wheat Belly Conversation. So both of those are the best places for people who want to join the conversation and ask questions, find better ways to navigate this lifestyle. Awesome. So... Dr. Davis, again, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. Thank you for all of your years of work and just helping to transform people's health by empowering them. I truly do appreciate and just want to acknowledge you for that. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show. I hope that you got a lot of value out of this. Go and take action. Put the bread to bed. You know what I'm saying? Just leave the bread alone. It's not really worth it. And there are so many great options and the Wheat Belly Cookbook. And there's so many great options out there for you to enjoy the process of getting well and just enjoy the process of being alive and being a healthy, right. sovereign individual. That's and right. again, thank you so much for tuning into the show. Take care and I'll talk with you soon. And make sure for more after the show, you head over to theshawnstevensonmodel.com. That's where you can find the show notes. And if you got any questions or comments, make sure to let me know. And please head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and let everybody know that our show is awesome yeah. and you're loving it. Yeah. And I read all the comments, so please leave me a comment there. And take care, everybody. promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help transform your life. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening.